This episode is brought to you by Milano Cookies. Look, sometimes that long Zen yoga class is just not in the cards. So maybe a cookie is. Pepperidge Farm Milano believes you should make some time for yourself once in a while. I know I have a particular space in my sewing room that I like to just take a few minutes every day. I sit there. I think about things. It's kind of like meditation and munching at the same time. You can get that yummy, beautiful cookie flavor. It makes it luxurious and delightful, and I always feel recharged. Milano cookies are truly a treat worthy of your me time. They're delicate and crispy with luxuriously rich chocolate in the middle. You really want to keep these just for you. So remember to save something for yourself with Pepperidge Farm Milano. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host the Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And today we are doing part two of our episode on Maurice Duplessis. And we left off in the last episode with Duplessis, who was the uh, premier of Quebec, having lost his seat as premier after his first term in office. His conservative views and aggressive politicking had really moved him quite quickly through the ranks of the conservative party in Quebec. But some poor decisions... Uh, during his first term caused his his new party that he had formed called the Union Nationale to lose their power base in the Legislative Assembly. During his first term, he also drank heavily, and that really took a toll on his health as well as his reputation. Yeah, he was also hospitalized for a strangulated hernia in 1942, and he had already had surgery for this same condition more than a decade earlier. Uh, but he ended up in the hospital again, and this time for four months due to complications brought on by pneumonia after he had had the procedure. He'd also been diagnosed with diabetes, and so his health problems and the damage to his image that had come from alcohol led him to decide to just quit drinking altogether. Yeah, there's a very funny uh, interview that I saw in like an old documentary where someone said that to the Liberal Party, the worst thing that ever happened was the day Duplessis stopped drinking because he just became much better at his job and a much better politician. Was simultaneously extremely offensive and also funny. It was said in jest. Okay. Uh, they weren't like, yay, he should have stayed an alcoholic, but they were saying, you know, he improved himself and it hurt our party. Uh, but throughout, throughout the health issues that he was working on uh, during his time away from office, Duplessis wasn't exactly absent from politics. He was still very vocally involved. He spoke out against the idea that the, of the provinces losing more control to the federal government, particularly over a constitutional amendment that gave unemployment insurance uh, to the federal jurisdiction and took it away from the provinces. So with renewed vigor, Duplessis went back to fighting political battles. He was really vocal in the conscription vote that had begun discussions while he was still convalescing. He continued to stand for French-Canadian nationalism and spoke out against federal government control and against labor unions and religious minorities exerting influence over the people of Quebec. 
And when election time came up again in 1944, with Quebec emerging from a, the financial depression that had been going on early, even in his political career, Duplessis regained his seat as premier. Though it was a tight race, it wasn't like a landslide. However, once he was there, he stayed in power for the next 15 years. So he really held that seat for a long time. This was kind of a controversial span. Yeah, not all of it was controversial while he was there, but we're going to talk about some of the bigger controversies yes. that happened. Some of it became controversial later. Yeah. Uh, while he had ingratiated himself to voters as a man of the people in a time when economic crisis had left many Quebecois jobless and uneducated, he was not exactly viewed as a saint. A lot of times now he's described as a man who wanted to be both loved and feared. And his campaigns were uh, always alleged to be sort of swirled with corruption. There were claims of fraud. Uh, there were assertions that paid thugs had beaten liberals, sometimes even in like the liberal party headquarters. Uh, there were assertions that there were voting boxes that had been stolen. There was stuffing of voting boxes. Basically all of like the uh, kind of textbook uh, when you think of like 1930s and 40s political corruption checklist, it was all kind of in his uh, his campaigns as well. On top of all that, he was alleged to have kept secret files on all members of the assembly. And even though uh, by the time he took the position of premier a second time, Quebec was moving into an industrial industrialized era. Uh, but Duplessis was still pretty insistent that agriculture was going to be the most important thing to focus on. And while this did keep him very popular uh, with, you know, the the people in his province that were, you know, still involved in agriculture and making their living as farmers, to a lot of people that also made him appear sort of out of touch and short sighted. And his detractors would point out like he is not moving with the times. Duplessis was also a devout Catholic for his whole life. And this did cause some criticism in his political career. His detractors hinted that he and the Roman Catholic Church were just too tightly intertwined, with too much influence flowing both ways. And indeed, he was quoted numerous times as saying, quote, the bishops eat out of my hand. Yeah, that's another one of those. Wow, you are really brazen. Uh And there were certainly more controversial issues than that, but they play out in much the same way. Uh, you know, he really had a pretty insistent view of the world. He felt like he had a handle on how things worked, and that was really what was going to guide him in leading Quebec. Before we get to the three big scandals that sort of define his political career now, when you look back, uh, do you want to take a moment and hear a word from our sponsor? Yes, let's do. Let's get on that. Hey, Holly, we have some exciting news. Yeah, I am wildly excited, and uh, people will have another opportunity to watch me cry at art. <laughs> yeah, you sounded so calm, and it's not a calm situation at all. Uh, our trip to Paris last year was really successful, so we're doing another similar trip this year, but this time to Rome and Florence. It's May 14th through 21st, 2020, and like last time, it is with a company called Defined Destinations, who is planning out this whole trip for us. Yeah, and during that week-long trip, we are going to see some of the great art that we have talked about on this show many times, including Michelangelo's David. We are going to go to Tuscany. We're going to visit St. Peter's Basilica. We are going to the 
Sistine Chapel. So it's going to be a fantastic trip. You can get the whole list of places that we are going and information about booking at defineddestinations.com. Scroll down to the Roman Florence trip with Stuff You Missed in History Class or come over to our social media. We have posts about it there too. Hey guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music, too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C., or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. And now, let's get back to Maurice Duplessis. So, as we hinted before the ad break, there were three really damning scandals in Duplessis' time as premier, although one did not come to light until after the fact. One involved a man who fought back against him. Another involved a possibly preventable tragedy that cost lives and closed a major roadway. And the third is a really, truly tragic legacy that is actually still playing out today. The first, in 1946, Duplessis made a move that would really cost him pretty dearly. The premier ordered the arrest of a group of Jehovah's Witnesses who had been distributing religious leaflets. These leaflets criticized the Catholic Church, but Duplessis claimed that their rhetoric was just a threat to public order. And a Montreal restaurateur by the name of Frank Roncarelli posted bail for the men who had been arrested in this leaflet scandal. And as a Jehovah's Witness himself, he often used his profits and his success from his business to bail out members of his religious group. Not long after that, Roncarelli received notice that his business's liquor license had been revoked. And without a liquor license, his restaurant was unsustainable. During an interview many years later, uh, Roncarelli said, interestingly enough, that he harbored no ill will towards Duplessis, even though this whole thing really shut down his business. Uh, he said that he knew Duplessis socially and that, quote, he was very charming in company. I just wanted to include that because it's so fascinating that this continues to recur where it's like, man, he was horrible to deal with. He was so hard to work with. I He was really quite delightful socially, though. Like, <laughs> it's such an interesting slash difficult to accept juxtaposition for me. Yeah. At the time, though, Roncarelli sued the premier in what would become an important civil rights case, which dragged on for more than a decade. And during testimony in that case, Duplessis admitted that the revocation of the liquor license was, in fact, not due to any impropriety or violation of liquor regulation on Roncarelli's part, and that it was just Roncarelli's bailout of the arrested men that precipitated the revocation. So he kind of did say, yeah, it was just because I was mad at him. Yeah, he had, he admitted, <laughs> basically, that he was using his political power to get vengeance on someone else. Yeah. Eventually, in early 1959, the Supreme Court made its ruling in favor of Frank Roncarelli. Duplessis was ordered to pay $46,132 personally. They ruled that he had overstepped his bounds and had arbitrarily damaged Roncarelli's livelihood. After the case closed, Roncarelli actually left Canada. He moved to the United States to work with a highway construction company. And he became sort of a David and Goliath symbol to a lot of people. And he was often touted in a sensationalized manner as the one man who took on Duplessis and won. 
1948, a new bridge, which was the Duplessis Bridge, was opened between Trois-Rivières and Cap de la Madeleine. However, this bridge had been built with what uh, some people refer to as, quote, political cement. Uh, in other words, inexpensive materials. It was assembled by private contractors who were friends of Duplessis, not really to the highest bidder and not really focused on quality. A lot of c- corner cutting. Yeah. In the United States, we call that good enough for government work, which used to mean something completely different than it generally does today. Yeah. So in the early hours of January 31st, 1951, this $3 million bridge collapsed and that halted travel on the busiest highway in Quebec and killed four people. And Duplessis' reaction was that he's quoted as saying, I think it's simply sabotage. He... uh was completely convinced that the collapse was the work of subversives, uh, at least publicly. Whether he truly believed this to be the case or whether he was trying to cover up some poor decisions in the building process and some poor political connections that he had used to get it built is still unclear. Of course, the actual problem was mediocre construction. The book Failed Bridges, Case Studies, Causes and Consequences describes the conditions that caused the tragedy this way. Four of the eight spans of the welded composite plate girder bridge over the Maurice River collapsed in a night at a temperature of minus 34 degrees Celsius. The steel contained 0.4% carbon and 0.12% sulfur. Two fissures in the bridge had been repaired two years earlier using riveted plates to strengthen the welding seams under tension in the flanges. The bridge had undergone a thorough inspection only two weeks before the failure, when it came, the collapse was sudden and completely unforeseen. So it was basically substandard materials in extremely cold weather that just failed. Uh, and the force of the bridge falling was so great when it happened that nearby residents actually thought an earthquake had occurred. As the investigation into the collapse went on, the substandard construction was revealed in reports And the inquiry into the bridge, testimony was given by two Canadian Army engineers, and they believed that two wires that were found wrapped around a girder were part of an explosive trigger, which was part of a sabotage plot. But two Bell Telephone employees later testified that the wires were actually part of an emergency line. Yeah, that whole uh, support for Duplessis' sabotage theory kind of fell apart. The bridge was eventually rebuilt. And again, it was built with a private contract against the wishes that a union contractor be given the project. So even though this had all happened, Duplessis kind of did the exact same thing he did on the first build and handed it to friends. Yeah. All in all, he spent more money on highway infrastructure than any previous uh, premier did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he did expand a lot of uh, Quebec's roadways, so... Whether or not others had similar problems that were never uh, exposed by, you know, an incident or cold weather precipitating an incident. He did uh, add more roadways to the province than any anybody had done previously. Uh, the darkest legacy of Duplessis' time in office didn't come to light until after Duplessis had actually died. Uh, in 1992, so this is quite some time after he had passed, a group calling themselves the Duplessis Orphans Committee, headed by writer Bruno Ray, went public with some extremely horrifying allegations. Basically, during the time that Duplessis was premier, in the 1940s and 1950s, 
thousands of orphans were swiftly declared to be either mentally ill or mentally retarded. And these were actually healthy children who had been under the care of the Quebec government, and they were living in homes that were run by the Roman Catholic Church. And the reason for these sudden, literally overnight diagnoses, uh, between 1945 and 1960, the Canadian federal government would pay 70 cents per day per orphan to orphanages for their care. However, it paid a subsidy of $2.25 per day per patient to psychiatric hospitals. And it was more fiscally lucrative to care for psychiatric patients than for orphans. So Duplessis on paper was like, hey, we could get more money for this if we just said they were all insane. That is such an ugly thought. Hey, listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new podcast from iHeartRadio called The Women, hosted by Rose Reed. It is a fascinating and deep dive interview show where Rose talks to changemakers and disruptors, and she finds out what really drives them. So she will ask each of them, what was your first stand and how do you navigate success and failure? And really, what's the cost of fighting for others? These interviews are really personal and they're candid and sometimes they're a little bit crass, but they are always really enlightening. You can listen to these firebrands and takeaway lessons that will help you navigate your own life and forge your own path. The debut season includes women like Valerie Plame, the former CIA agent who is now running for Congress, and whistleblower and pediatrician Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, who exposed the Flint water crisis and became the center of a swirling, swirling amount of problems, uh, and the legendary Buffy St. Marie, 60s songwriter and activist. Uh, I have personal interest in this show because I adore Rose and I executive produce it, and I think you're really going to enjoy the way that she gets into these conversations that feel like two friends talking, and they are an absolute delight. So subscribe to The Women on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. My name is Sammy J. I have been working as a correspondent and interviewer since I was 13. And now at 17, I am so honored to be the youngest person to have her own podcast on iHeartRadio. It's called Let's Be Real with Sammy J. We'll have in-depth and unfiltered conversations with celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers. We have some incredible guests this season, including hitmaker Megan Trainer, the amazing Kesha, Grammy-winning producer Phineas, YouTube sensation Liza Koshy, Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Julia Michaels, the boy band sensation Why Don't We, and many more. We'll cover topics we're curious about, topics my guests are passionate about, and topics many of us are just too afraid to talk about. I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing. Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In 1961, a commission on Quebec psychiatric hospitals determined that more than a third of the 22,000 patients housed in psychiatric hospitals at the time had been incorrectly diagnosed. Most of these people were orphans from the Duplessis era who had been in the system since a very early age. Yes, yeah, so they had been declared mentally ill and then were still decades later living in that system when they should have never been there in the first place. The exact number of children that were affected by this rampant diagnosis or misdiagnosis is unclear. Uh, it ranges anywhere from 2,000 children to close to 20,000, depending on your source and uh, 
you know, it's one of those things that is difficult to track. Some of the children that were in the orphanages were born out of wedlock. Uh, some had lost their parents and had no family. Others had been turned over to the system by parents that were too poor to feed them and were thinking that would at least be a better option for their care. But instead, they were all subjected to this sort of horrific bit of paperwork that basically ruined their lives. Stories of r- abuse are really rampant. Uh, there was electroshock therapy, which was a deeply different thing in the 40s and 50s than it is today. Uh, purposefully high drug dosages, forced lobotomies, physical and sexual abuse. All of these things have been claimed by survivors. And this list of horrors is lengthy. It resulted in a government payout to all the surviving orphans. In the 2000s, an effort was made to get the bodies of the orphans who had died in the care of the corrupt homes exhumed to prove that they had been used in medical experimentation. But this effort was met with a lot of resistance. And I do think it's important to note that uh, while Duplessis authorized this paperwork, he has never been determined to be personally involved in the abuse. It's kind of like he made a very poor fiscal decision that resulted in it, but it, he's never implicated as having known that these children were potentially being used in medical experiments, that they were being abused. I think he just thought it was literally going to be a paperwork transaction. Yeah, and easy money. Yeah. He actually suffered a series of strokes and died on September 7th of 1959. And that was shortly after the verdict in the first scandal that we talked about, the Roncarelli case. What's interesting, though perhaps unsurprising, is that depending on what biographical source you're reading from, you'll see him described in completely contradictory ways. One will speak of how staunchly he opposed the federal government in the work of uh, provincial government. Another will comment on how he recognized that the only right path for Canada was to to unite the provinces under the federal government. Yeah, he almost is like a ghost, like people make up their version of him sometimes. Uh, He definitely had anti-elitist views, and that made him very popular with some voters. He was sometimes even called a ruralist, and his insistence that agriculture remain uh, an integral part of Quebec earned him the loyalty of a lot of people, as we mentioned earlier. For a lot of people, his death is a milestone that marks a significant and pivotal moment in Quebec's history. In the time that he governed, Quebec experienced economic stability. But xenophobia and anti-union sentiments were also part of that package. And after Duplessis, during the so-called Quiet Revolution, Quebec became more secularized. The Roman Catholic Church lost a lot of its political power. And the, minim- the ministries of education and health were established, but the economic growth slowed. Uh, Duplessis never married. And when he was asked in interviews about his perpetual bachelorhood, he would always tell people that he was married to Quebec. And what's interesting is that uh, I have, you know, friends in Canada and I asked them about Maurice Duplessis and what they're taught in school and how much they knew about him, and is he characterized as more of a hero or a villain nowadays? Because there have been movements to try to kind of repaint him and and put him in context of, like, yes, if you just look at the facts on paper, he can look very bad, but if you look at him in context of the bigger political machine at the time, it really wasn't out of the ordinary. It wasn't like he was a monster. Uh, but every person I asked, none of whom were from Quebec, I should mention, said, who? They had never heard of him or they had heard of him in like that ah distant bell ringing. Isn't there like a Duplessis road? Like they couldn't 
conjure who he had ever been, which was very interesting to me. Yeah, well, and considering uh, how the orphan scandal was ongoing into the 2000s, I think that's what makes it. That was often my follow-up. Like, do you know about Duplessis or the Duplessis orphans? And they would go, not really. Uh, and the, uh, that led to some discussion of sort of the division that there's ongoing sort of strife and discussion and uh, disagreement about Quebec's place in the bigger Canadian structure and French nationalism and uh, that sort of desire to be separate and different kind of being a problem sometimes socially. Uh, so some of them were like, that could just be the the problem is that it's a piece of Quebec history and we don't always get taught very much about that outside of that province. So I just thought it was interesting that none of my Canadian friends knew who he was. Um, and they spread from sort of Vancouver all the way over to uh, Ottawa. But yeah, Maurice Duplessis still kind of up in the air in terms of whether he was a good guy or a bad guy for many people. Yeah, but I also have listener mail. I was just about to ask. This is going to dovetail on a previous little listener mail experience experiment that we did, which is that we had had a listener who was going to go to New Orleans and wanted ideas uh, for what to do. And we had so many great ideas and we put together a blog post on them. And now we kind of have like the stuff you missed in history class guide of interesting things to do in New Orleans that might not be in guidebooks. So we're going to do a similar thing. And this one involves Canada. Uh, this actually comes from a uh, Facebook note we got from our listener, Robin. She says, hey, ladies, my beloved husband introduced me to the podcast recently, and I've been hooked ever since. We've both become pretty avid listeners and really enjoy discussing the cool stuff we learn. Anyway, my husband and I are going to celebrate our 10-year wedding anniversary. Congratulations, I say to you. Uh, this May, and we're hoping to visit Victoria, British Columbia. It would be awesome if you could do a podcast on the city or something related. It would also be so great to visit and have some historical insights to help us in deciding where we visit and what to see. Uh, so I'm once again putting a call out to our various listeners who might have knowledge of Victoria, British Columbia, on what is really cool to do there. I will admit I don't know much there. I usually I visit Vancouver periodically, which I love. I love that city so much. Uh, but I don't know a lot about Victoria and its specific magic. So if you know things, you can um, share those with us. And I will once again put those all into one big blog posts and we will uh, have a fabulous guide to yet another city. Yay. I know. And then we'll have to go on the history class tour of the world once we have several put together. Uh, so if you would like to write to us with questions or to answer Robin's query about what's good to do in Victoria, British Columbia, you can do so at historypodcast at discovery.com. You can also connect with us at facebook.com slash missed in history on Twitter at missed in history at mistinhistory.tumblr.com and we're also on Pinterest uh, at pinterest.com slash mistinhistory. If you would like to uh, learn more about a topic related to what we've discussed today, you can go to our website and type in the word scandal and one of the articles that will come up is 10 political scandals. And while Duplessis is not mentioned, again, it helps to put it in context that there have been a lot of weird and awful and sometimes fascinating things that have gone on in the political realm Indeed. Political missteps. So if you want to learn about that or anything else that you can think of, you can do that at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now. This is Danny Shapiro, host of the hit podcast, Family Secrets. I hope you'll join us for some incredible conversations about family, identity, and what happens to both when the secrets that have been kept from us and the secrets we keep finally come to light. Listen and subscribe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Hey, it's Laura Wasser, host of the All's Fair podcast on iHeartRadio. I'm a family law attorney, which is really a euphemism for a divorce attorney, and I've been practicing for over 20 years. I've learned some very interesting things along the way, and I can tell you that when dealing with matters of the heart, rules seldom apply. With advice and anecdotes from many of my friends, some of whom may be celebrities, as well as the best legal, financial, and mental health professionals in the country, our goal is to educate, enlighten, empower, and entertain you on the way to a better understanding of how relationships work. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find All's Fair with Laura Wasser on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.